Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 89. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us in the Zoom lobby all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, he is the affairs editor at Watchdogs Gazette and the author of his own Substack and something of a podcast celebrity. Uh, Seamus Malik of Sali is on the show. Welcome, Seamus. Uh, ha- happy to be on Extended Clip, guys. Uh, wonderful program you got here. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much. You know, you, you told me that it was a wonderful program once, but it sounded very threatening. You, you said uh, I might have something to do with it. And ever since then, I've been wondering, <laughs> like, has he been mounting a smear campaign against us this whole time? And this is his... He's going to do a coup. It wouldn't be hard. Take us over. <laughs> Uh-uh. Is that what they're teaching you at J school? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the double feature that Seamus has brought to the show is Black Angel, uh, or The Black Angel, the 1998 film by Takashi Ishii and female prisoner 701 Scorpion, the Shunya Ito film from 1972 part of Toei's pinky violence movement. Seamus, what? I, I thought you were a respectable guy. You, you come on the show, you bring this sleaze. Uh, what, what is it with these two picks? Why were these two movies the ones you wanted to bring to Extended Clip? Uh, well, 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 a couple of reasons. One, um, I watched these coincidentally very close to one another, and I saw that they were, they were of two very, very ultra-specific subgenres. They were films about Japanese women coming back from exile or imprisonment to get revenge on both the Yakuza and the corrupt cops who are specifically male, alongside their enablers who are specifically female. Um, that, that's one. And also, um, I have never had a place to talk about one of my favorite directors, uh, Takashi Ishii, um, who I just find kind of incredibly fascinating as someone who transitioned from making complete pornographic sleaze, like the, the worst of the worst, uh, sleaziest of the sleaze, to making incredibly stylish, um, writing beautiful scripts, uh, just just really great kind of career trajectory that went up and then went right back down um, very, <laughs> very dramatically. I don't like talking about the films he made in the 2000s. But that that little period in the 1990s, that was, that was grand. You're not a big fan of A Night in Nude Salvation from 2010? Uh, <laughs> no, nor am, I, nor am I a fan of the film Sweet Whip, uh, which I, I don't know anything about, but from the title, I'm guessing that it's pretty bad. That well, sounds good. Yeah, that I sounds know. like a good movie. He made Doesn't an entry that sound in, like a good movie? He made an entry in the Flower and Snake series, which any fan of the Pinku genre uh, is aware of this. Uh, so, you know, uh, we like to respect the sleaze on this show. We, like, we, we talked about I Love It From Behind, and I've talked about many pink films on the program. <laughs> but I, I think that this director is very interesting for kind of going back and forth between those two. And this definitely was a film that took me by surprise in 
a hundred different ways. I feel like I watched five different movies. It could be a compliment. It could be something I want to work out with the movie. <laughs> no, yeah, I thought I thought it was really solid. Like I, I you know, I think it has a lot of like uh, a good sensibility. It kind of has like a good like noirish kind of like color tone to it. Like it, a lot of nighttime scenes, a lot of like deep blues, and uh, you know, I feel like I I enjoy that for the most part. I feel like maybe you know, kind of what you were saying about the five different movies, kind of the pacing. Some places it would lose me, and then you know, it kind of reget me back again. But you know, I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely echo uh, your feelings in the regard of like being like I don't know, being uncertain of how to like feel it out because it does go to very strange places, but most of them I really enjoyed and like on the whole great, great violence, great time. That's all I need. <laughs> I got to satiate my bloodlust. That is true. You know, every week on extended clip, we look to satiate our bloodlust and it, it's great that you could contribute in that regard. Uh, Shavis, you, you briefly talked about Takashi Ishii's trajectory, but why don't you tell us a little bit about this film in particular? Um, this was an action movie that he made in the 1990s. Uh, I want to say right after he made, right after he wrote um, one of my favorite films, uh, Love Hotel. Um, he got, he tried to get back into the action genre, and I, it's very, very clear that he based this off of um, manga storyboards that he was drawing up. Uh, very stylized, um, very, very, very dark. Um, like, I, I was struck by just how, like, cynical it is about, like, hero worship. Um, just the idea of, the like, the success of, like, the revenge that you imagine for yourself and how it works out for you. Um, just, just really all around. Uh, I thought it was a really solid picture. Not five stars by any means, but re just real hey, solid. But we'll get to it. I mean, we talk, look, uh, if you want to uh, drop uh, stars, uh, fucking drop stars. We talk about the bullets later. But anyway. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot the format that we have on this program. Eco, uh, 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 the main character, the titular, well, she kind of becomes the titular black angel if you think about it. Eco uh, witnesses the slaying of her parents at the hands of the Yakuza, and the, the black angel is a hit woman who saves her and sends her off to America where she grows up and 14 years later she is back for vengeance with knowledge that she demonstrated at a very young age of how her family ties into yakuza corruption and stuff like that uh and she also returns with this like bleached hair kung fu guy who is very good at fighting and a very fun <laughs> character and uh from then mm -hmm. we explore as seamus said earlier both the police corruption kind of the hierarchy of yakuza and how they kind of rule over this uh i guess fu near future tokyo or maybe just stylized to look that way uh but it's a it's an incredible looking picture there are set pieces that rely much more on the long take rather than you know uh the way that some of our favorite action filmmakers put together a scene like tony scott through montage uh but i think there's something about the utter depravity of these scenes and the long takes that follow them that remind me of someone like alan clark uh just kind of laying it bare but also just so much more hyper stylized in terms of the way that the shots are lit and the camera movements themselves uh stylistically this film 
just knows no bounds, I guess. It's kind of all over the place, but in the best way possible. I mean, we even get an impromptu uh, rap number, rap freestyle in English <laughs> that leads to a, a dance number. Uh, and of course, I'll put the clip, but that was, oh boy, what what an incredible scene that was. <laughs> oh, fuck! Big it up! Fucking some folk, man! No, yeah, that kind of just shows how, like, this movie is really willing to, like, tonally shift. I think it is a very kind of, like, cynical and detached movie at parts, kind of like how it could sometimes will, like, I don't know, apathetically depict violence. But at the same time, it's kind of uh, going into, like, you know, kind of these crime classic uh crime genre color palettes of you know kind of like these dark blues but um it is it is just kind of like the you know the the dance sequence shows like i don't know there's also a lot of like a visual experiment not experimentation but it's like i feel like each like fight scene or each kind of like big scene he's trying something different like there's like some scenes with like slow-mo or some scenes where like where the camera's just kind of getting kind of like the lower angles and stuff like that. And, you know, um, I mean, it, it keeps it interesting. Uh, I, I do like the gag in the very beginning, like even as depraved and brutal as that opening slaying is that uh, I think it encourages you encourages you to read it from her perspective as a five-year-old because of how just truly horrifying uh, that that slaying is depicted but when the cop gets there he like can't quite use his walkie-talkie right and he's kind of just like a goofy cop and i think that was the first moment where i realized like how kind of tonally all over this place was going to be and it's a moment where if you can kind of brace yourself with the horror of what you saw and the comedy that follows then you'll probably get a lot out of the movie and maybe some viewers won't be able to but uh we, we hope you do at extended clips <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the movies yeah i mean i mean what you're what you're saying about the um back a little bit about the long takes that was what really struck me on my first feeling of this um there's a scene kind of very like a little bit later on um when she's uh when eco is captured by the yakuza and nor and like in a normal action movie like even if there's kind of a failed escape attempt there would be a lot of cuts there'd be or maybe in like maybe a john wick scenario there would be a long take but it'd be very frantic and it'd be going all over the place but in this one she tries to escape she tries to fight people but the camera is just sitting on her it's it's shot very very flatly and it goes in as she walks away and she and it goes back as she walks back and it just holds on her constantly there's no there's no pause to kind of catch your breath it's very uncomfortable it's very discomforting because you just kind of see her descend into despair and it doesn't let up whatsoever and it, it really does help create that kind of um unease that atmosphere unease that um takashi she's trying to create and i think he does it quite well yeah, like, I, I wouldn't say that the long takes aren't showy at all. I think, like, anytime you have a genre movie with long takes, it's going to be, like, somewhat self-conscious. But in comparison to other kind of uh, 
you know, using the long trick or using the long take as a magic trick, as it were, and like the 1917s. And I think there's a long take in the first John Wick. I can't quite remember. I haven't seen that movie in years. But anyway, uh, the the movement is always slow enough to like more so call attention to the staging than the camera, I think. And I, I, I think that really calls attention to how detailed Ishii's mise-en-scene is here and how carefully he moves his camera through it for these very, very precise uh, long takes, even if the kind of loose, slow movement makes them feel quasi-improvised, you know? it Because I feel like it, you know, what he's doing here is intricate and he does like want to kind of like, I don't know, introduce kind of like these slow tensions sometimes with these long takes and that's kind of an effective way of doing it and you know you, you know you're talking about how uh you know this guy he did a lot of uh you know sleazy kind of like you know pornographic films and then kind of went more serious i guess or just more you know respectable like genre pictures and like that kind of makes sense like considering like all the men here because like the classic like pink mode for like any man in like a uh, these movies is just like kind of like a bloodthirsty rapist, you know what I mean? Who's just like mm-hmm. he will just kind of uh, just roam the streets looking, you know, for the next victim. Whereas like these people are a, lo- a lot more calm and controlled, but you still kind of get the cruelty, you know, with the violent scenes. You know, a lot, a lot of uh, plenty of scenes of you know the the black angel getting slapped around and whatnot. So you still kind of have that nastiness to it. I mean, to touch on what like we're uh we were talking about earlier with the tonal shifts um i think it like it does like two things for me in the sense where it like lightens up like the cynical qualities of the film where it's like very clearly like playful formally and like i I don't know makes it sort of like more fun and lighthearted. but also i think that adds to like the unpredictability of like how depraved it's going to get and like uh, intense with the violence because it's like I don't know especially with what you had brought up with the dance sequence like Eddie there's and the rapping it's like I wasn't anticipating that at all and that just like it was a mystifying like minute and a half when that yeah. happened and I think the offhandedness of some of the brutality speaks to like when Ishii is more leaning into the melodrama, how much more of a spectacle he makes mm-hmm. out of it. Because there are times when the Yakuza boss is like, uh, I believe it's Nogi just shoots people for giving him bad news. And it's kind of just offhanded. <laughs> uh, and then when it's more tied into this very grand vengeance melodrama, it's so theatrical, like the final showdown, which, you know, ends uh, on a rooftop and it- it's just, I don't know. It's or it ends up on a rooftop, and all all the kind of major players involved get these incredible freeze frames before they die. Not unlike uh, John Woo's bullet in the head. J- just a really, really great climax. And the more I think about it, like this film is a lot better than I thought it was. I think it was maybe more frustrating because I was just constantly surprised by what it was doing and it wasn't fitting <laughs> into any of the the genre like conventions in terms of pacing plotting style uh that i'm used to uh but looking back on it it's such an achievement in style that you know you got to give it up yeah and takashi ishii kind of has this i don't want to say problem necessarily um because it, it but um a lot of the films that i've seen they're kind of okay on the first viewing, but the more that I think about them in my mind and I go back and I analyze them, it 
it really does improve. Because um, I, I want to say uh, A Night in Nude, when I saw that for the first time, um, it, it just it took a while. But once I figured out, um, I mean, all of the different romantic subplots and uh, the subtlety of the lead uh, female actresses' performances, um, all of the deep sadness, like it, it became one of my favorite films because because I was like it, it really does allow um, yourself to really uh, draw through it and really analyze it. And this is a, and this is a similar thing. Yeah, no, I definitely think, I mean, again, sort of like echoing more like, uh, what you were saying earlier, Eddie, where it was like, as I was watching through it, I was like, I, I don't want to exactly say frustrated, but it was like confused with how to like feel it out with something that's like doing as much, uh, fun, like stylistic, like approaches within the genre framework, because I feel like sometimes when, um, like genre work tries to be like this audacious, like this, it can come off like, uh, sometimes pretentious, like doing formal experimentation in kind of an art house way, but this never like has a sense of that, like self-importance about it. It's still like, right. Like it's still going to engage with being genre fair and will be right down there in the gutter and like, give you what you want in that sense. And like, with the melodramatic plotting and that framework, it's pretty consistent throughout. So like, I don't know, just the more I thought about it and like, as it continued on to like, I think the ending is like fantastic. I, uh, I, I liked it more and more. So I'm going to give this one, uh, uh, three and a half bullets. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, we, we have similar sentiments when it comes to this movie. And whereas like kind of in the first half, I was enjoy. I always, I was always enjoying it, but I was trying to kind of like hop on kind of like a, a wavelength, you know, kind of referencing like my genre film knowledge. And yeah, I guess this, this, this kind of goes to a lot of different places to where, you know, it doesn't really fit in a lot of those molds. And uh, I appreciate it for that sense. And, you know, even, even some of the parts where I was trying to catch up, cause there's a good, a fair amount of plot in here. Um, I, I could still enjoy it, you know, as a pure, you know, stylistic exercise and, uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm definitely want to check more out from this director, and I'll give it three and a half bullets as well. All right, all right, Seamus, uh, we're passing the gun to you. What about you? Oh, uh, it's it's great. I, I put this on the podcast. You know what my opinion is. Uh, four bullets. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to uh, to get your hands on, but I really do recommend anybody who's listening to this podcast like get a dvd of one of takashi ishii's movies it's well worth it or uh uh fi- find them on certain websites online but also <laughs> dvds are awesome you know, I, I love dvds yeah. i have like 50 uh i i really like this movie too uh, i i'm going three to i was teetering throughout uh but i'm gonna stop nice. teetering i think that the punctuation of certain long takes with very impactful cuts uh, is also something to be said uh, because they're not just like these long takes that exist in isolation, you know, fading to black on both sides. It's still part of the film form where one shot has to follow the next. So when you watch a long take, especially when you watch a long take in an action movie, I say the the royal you is just me. This is how my brain works. Uh, when you watch a long take in an action movie, you're kind of just like, 
what what does this image mean in the relation to the next one? What does the cut mean here? Uh, and I think that Ishii is always great at uh, deploying the cut as well as the shot, even if he's very sly in the ways that he does so. And uh, we'll be right back on Extended Clip. Yeah, <laughs> It's the return of the tramp. Now Chaplin's just like right in there with that top three. Like I can't stop him. Mm -hmm. The more research I do, I'm just falling in love with the tramp all over again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm doing a big research project on him right now, Seamus, and uh, it's it's heartbreaking, honestly. It's oh, like, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the dude, the, when the dude wanted to do his art his way, and he paid for yeah. it. Um, yeah. God, but, well, absolutely. I, I remember. Have you seen the circus? Yeah, that was yeah. great. God, I remember when I first heard the um the song that plays in the opening, like I thought, oh my god, like this guy, <sighs> it's so good, it's so good. He got, <laughs> like he does it perfectly. Yeah, the mute, the score that he laid over his silence is like fucking ridiculous. And then of course, from a certain point, making the soundtrack alongside the mute the movies uh, for I think City Lights is the first one, but I, I had to watch Bicycle Thieves for a class recently and like i for some reason the whole like good movie of course but like i was thinking like this is like like this would just be way better if it was just a charlie chaplin movie yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did social realism better than all the neorealists did that shit you know no, yeah. in my opinion at least i mean especially the returns to it when he does like the fake social realist movies and the fit like modern times and stuff where it's like the most artificial movie <laughs> ever but it's attempting social realism again it's like the greatest i i don't know yeah I've been thinking about the kid a lot. I really want to rewatch that one. Oh that yeah, I, I watched that one recently. It's so I, I was I, I was I didn't cry. It was what like I was expecting, but mm -hmm. like it affected me on a really deep level, which I was not anticipating. And it's only fifty I, I minutes. Did, yeah, like, I, it's funny. I didn't crazy. cry at that one, but I cry at Monsieur Verdu and like City Lights. Uh, <laughs> And like I don't know, oh, yeah. uh, City Lights. I just I can't even talk about it in front of you guys with my cameras on for too long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have seen how I start with that jacking moment. off. <laughs> 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 no, I was just thinking with like the kid. I feel like the kid like introduced. This must have been in like books, but like in movies, really hammered forth like having a kid with you the entire movie to like have like an emotional core to add. To, you know what I mean? Make it a little bit more sentimental. At any point in the story, just cut to the kid's face and it's like, fuck. All right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he was a genius. I mean, you know what? Are you guys ready to go? Yep. Yeah, let's get yeah. it. And we're back on extended clip. Uh, it's Malcolm in the middle. It's everyone's favorite segment. Malcolm, uh, did you watch anything mm -hmm. of note since we last met? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh I decided to go sellout mode for uh, this this segment, and uh, I want to talk about the education of Charlie Banks, directed by Fred Durst, because also it's part of the Patreon PDF club. I wrote about the films of Fred Durst, specifically the education of Charlie Banks and the Long Shots, his uh, his uh, Pee Wee football movie. But um, the education of Charlie Banks is a little more interesting than uh, the Long Shots, because Long Shots is just kind of like a schmaltzy like genre kids movie, not much flair to it. Whereas like education of Charlie Banks is like Durst trying to go artist mode, like trying to get, be like respected, you know, indie Sundance darling Fred Durst. And uh, I mean, it's just kind of an average movie, but it's like, 
It's funny that, like, I don't know. It's just like about uh, Ivy League problems. It's about like some working class uh, guy who keeps uh, beating up people in bars. He goes to his friends that he knows are in college, and he stays with them and starts to live uh, the Ivy League life. And you know, he starts to like it. And um, I was like, I was reading interviews and stuff like that. And like Durst, Durst uh, says he cites Hal Ashby and Woody Allen as his influences. He's a big Allen fan. <laughs> um, he also shouted out the Kub, Kubrick. And, you know, I, I, I can't even really, I, I want to give him like the Woody Allen Ashby influence. I don't even really see that. Like, uh, I really, I really think his best work kind of comes when, uh, in 2019, when he makes the, the fanatic with, uh, John Travolta. Cause it's about, uh, a guy who hates his fans. That's what the movie's about. And I think Fred Durst, I think there's a little bit of that in him. So I think that kind of motivated the movie. Um, but education of Charlie Banks, you know, really just annoying Eisenberg performance. You could, you know, see him whine if you wanted. But uh, <laughs> I, despite it all, a very fine, watchable movie, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's what Fred Durst is up to when he's not he's not uh, making them hits. JT, what about you? What have you been What have you been watching? Huh. I have been. Um doing a little run of some uh 70s like uh paranoid political thrillers uh because i'm gonna like my dear friend tim and i who was once a guest on the pod we're gonna talk about it at some point and hash things out and figure out our feelings <laughs> about them i generally like them but there's like i don't know at a certain point uh there's some lazy and bad ones and one bad one that I watched recently uh, was 1973's Executive Action by David Miller. And that one is about, like, the uh, sort of intelligence agents and, like, right-wing ghouls that uh, planned the Kennedy assassination. And it's just, like, you're watching them meticulously... Uh, plan uh, an assassination which I feel like it's just so like on one hand it's like presenting itself as like kind of I think a deconstruction of that genre because it's like flipping like where you're normally on the side of like some hippie fuck or like some CIA agent gone rogue and like figuring out something that they don't know the details about and they're just like paranoid about like a larger like the larger system at work and like not knowing plays into it a whole lot but executive action really sucks for the fact that it's like putting it just all out there yeah. it's just like i don't want to watch the elites like prepare an assassination like it's pretty boring <laughs> like it's like i don't want to see like how they fucking practice like shooting rifles like in an empty like desert to kill kennedy because it's like unlike a lot of other uh conspiratorial things that aren't based in reality it also is deprived of like any sense of suspense too because you know what's gonna fucking happen it's not like it's just like <laughs> It's many incidental scenes of just like either waspy guys in boardrooms being like, oh, we're, we're really going to kill this Kennedy fella. <laughs> and then just like military guys, like, like getting shit all set out. And it's just, I don't know. It, I, I could see someone taking this approach to do something like interesting with the genre, but I think it, it sucks out all 
the paranoia from it because I think the one of the most important parts of the conspiracy genre is that like like you're never truly going to know and that's like part yeah. of the hell of it as well and this is just like all knowledge and no fun that's that's why JFK by Ollie Stone is so great because he has those scenes of Joe Pesci having intricate you know gay sex as uh <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, what what do the elites really do? You know, it's, it gives you the salacious stuff. It's like know, speculation. Yeah. It's like more yeah. like, and like with JFK, with Ollie Stone, it's like you're you're uncovering it with the charm of Kevin Cosner. You're figure, we're figuring yeah. out as a team. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. I, I You know, it's I, I think I've spoke about it before, but I love in Nixon and JFK, there'll just be like one cutaway scene of like, a nef- like a uh, J. Edgar being nefariously gay. And that happens in that happens in in, in Nixon when uh, J. Edgar's played by Bob Hoskins. So I've always found that funny. You know what? I find that funny too. Uh, Seamus, what about you? Uh, I wa- I watched a couple of things, but the main the main big show was that I watched all of Abel Gans's seven hour masterpiece La Rue. Wait, sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. How, how do you say his last name? Uh, Abel Gantz. Oh, um, Abel Gantz. I've been saying Abel Gantz. No, I mean he, he he's unfortunately quite French, so it's it's Gantz. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> uh, but God, this thing is just. I mean, it was seven hours, but it was so unbelievably uh, expansive, very intricately written. Um, like all of the characters are are so well developed. Um, their arcs are really satisfying, uh, even though they're horribly sad. Um, the, it was done back in uh, the early 1920s, but the editing techniques are really intricate. And, um, God, it's just so good. It was so un- unusually good for what I, I was expecting something to be good. But, like, maybe my favorite film of all time now? Like, it's, wow. quite, it's quite good. Uh, you know what Godard said? All you need for a movie is a train. Uh, so right. <laughs> nah, we'll get to what he said. Uh, <laughs> I I also watched a silent movie this week. Uh, unless Seamus, were you going to say more? No, 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 no. Okay. I, I do not want to say anything more about this movie. But please, okay. Go on. Uh, I also watched a silent movie. Yours was seven hours. Mine was twenty-five minutes. Uh, just saying, you know, I have you beat there. Uh, <laughs> One of the, you know, masterful two reelers that Charles Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin, some of his friends call him, uh, made over at Mutual, this one in 1917, The Adventurer. Uh, This was my favorite, you know, short from Chaplin already, but last night I was doing some research on Monsieur Verdu, and I was like, I just want to throw on one of the old classics, have a good old time with the tramp. He doesn't quite play the tramp in this one. He's a, he's a convict uh, known as the eel, and he is very slippery the way he escapes. <laughs> it's a very straightforward movie, and by that, I mean it's like the purest kind of action comedy you could possibly make. He's a convict on the run. First, there's a set piece of him escaping you know, prison guards and then uh, cops, I guess. And then there's a segment where the classic uh, big mustachioed muscled man is wooing a girl that Charlie thinks is cute. Uh, And uh, he accidentally intervenes as somehow they all fall off of the boardwalk and into the ocean. Is this this is the Joker incel movie that they were talking about (laughs) that people were going to go shoot up theaters about. 
We got to get this guy off the screen. <laughs> He's a dangerous little tramp. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it, it's just like uh, filled to the brim with gags and stunts. You know, there, there's like an yeah. insane scene where he drops a scoop of ice cream in his pants. And frankly, it's just like, yeah, I, I was shifting around a little bit. I, I was quite uncomfortable. Uh, but then it leads to like one of the funny because most of this is the humor comes uh, at the expense of like the big mustachioed uh, muscle man who he, you know, kicks in the butt, the famous backwards kick so many times, but always sets him up to just kick a woman (laughs) or just like fall into the ocean or do something like that. And there's just so many like beautifully staged gags that I just, if I describe them, even if it spoils it, it doesn't do service. But uh, in all I could really think about were like these platitudes about how great he was. And then I reread the Andre Bazin chapter in What is Cinema about him. Or I guess it's an essay that was in What is Cinema. And it's pretty much all platitudes too. It's like nobody can figure out why he's great. He's just great. And it's always the tramp against the world. You know, the, the world isn't fit for him. And that's why he's the perfect icon and the fact that he was aware of this as a filmmaker kind of makes him the perfect filmmaker, too. Uh, quoting from Bazan here, he says that the technique of Charlie's gags naturally calls for a study to itself, which we cannot undertake here. Sufficient, perhaps, that we've made it clear that they have attained a kind of final perfection, the highest degree of style. It is stupid to treat Charlie as a clown of genius. If there had never been a cinema, he would undoubtedly been a clown of genius. But the cinema has allowed him to raise the comedy of circus and music hall to the highest aesthetic level. Chaplin needed the medium of cinema to free comedy completely from the limits of space and time imposed by the stage or the circus arena. And I'm sorry to go bodies in spaces mode about the little tramp, but when it's Bazan, you have to. Uh, and so the adventurer is on YouTube and you should watch it. We'll be right back on extended clip. And we're back on extended clip. Uh, Before we get into the next film, I wanted to real quick shout out to the Patreon. You know, uh, every single week we put a bonus episode up on there. Uh, there, if you happen to have listened to an episode from like two weeks ago, you may have heard some fake news, uh, false advertising. Malcolm may have said it was $2 per episode. Uh, you know, <laughs> let it be known that that is not true. It's $2 per month for a weekly episode. If you listen to podcasts, you know how it works. Patreon.com slash extended clip. Our most recent episode was about Clint Eastwood's Hereafter. And what do you think we thought about it? It, it was great. Uh, but anyway. Uh, also, also, I, I, do want, I do want to jump in here. I'm going to attest to the uh, the greatest of the Patreon because right now I'm subscribing to it. Right oh, now. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie's going to get an email just now. I'm now, I'm now a patron. <laughs> Great. This is an on on mic endorsement. Wow. You know, this is this shows you how great the the service you could be paying for is. Wow, it's true. If people I, are buying it. Yeah, I mean, I just pulled it up and we got. Oh well, that's not him. That's a guy who's 
been a patron since we started, but undoes it at the end of the month so he doesn't get charged. <laughs> but you're allowed uh, to. By the way, by the way, if you're our friend, you're allowed to do that, and we only know him through the show. But you know what? He's allowed. To, he's contributed enough to the show. It's, it's legal. As a friend of it's the legal, show. It's legal, technically. It's legal, baby. <laughs> Thank you so much, Seamus. Uh, and Seamus is going to be getting the PDFs. Oh, man. I wrote three reviews in the newest PDF. I wrote about Ooh. Die Hard. I wrote about The Departed. And I wrote about A Face in the Crowd, which for some reason everyone wants to be like, you know, this film is actually about living in Trump's America. But uh, what I think it's about is Elia Kazan not being all that great of a filmmaker, maybe. <laughs> but anyway <laughs> you know this you know, the isolation pandemic it could get hard you know if you really want to get off you know jt does draw erotic uh, minions <laughs> portraits and just kind of uh, erotic fan not fan fiction but like there's erotica for all sorts like of any type yeah. of cinephile oh sorry i was going to just ask uh, to remind me jt what was the title of your art piece for this uh last pdf again a man with no name but with fat ass titties that is so true. and you know if, this is an audio medium and you're building a picture in your mind right now it's it's a hundred times better than that so anyway <laughs> uh let's start the fucking show <laughs> <laughs> let's get down to business man enough of this We're, we fucking sold out to the, the all Patreon right LLC, let's lock man. the gates <laughs> no 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 <laughs> What happened to the movie? <laughs> no, <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> Female Prisoner, 701 Scorpion, by Shunya Ito from 1972, as I alluded to earlier, released by Toei, part of their Pinky Violence. And, you know, that, that's actually how I came upon this film the first time I watched it. I watched it off of Rare Lust, which is a site where you can download a lot of softcore uh, pornography and, uh, uh, you know, feature films of that variety. And so this film was on there and I checked it out while I was first investigating the the pinku milieu of Japan. And I found it just shocking. I, I found, uh, first of all, not very sexy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is any yeah, softcore wait, porno hour. <laughs> I try to say sexy as much like Woody Allen as I can. It's not very sexy. <laughs> anyway. Man who knows sex appeal. Real ones who have seen enough Woody Allen movies know how he says it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, we keep getting distracted. Uh, This is a film about the titular female prisoner, 701 Scorpion. It is another vengeance tale. It is about a woman who is betrayed by a corrupt cop working with the Yakuza using her as, you know, part of a setup for a sting operation. Uh, you know, she's also violently brutalized and sexually assaulted in this moment. And it, the way it's depicted is also in this thing where he's rotating the sets around kind of, and it's this flashback where all of these environments kind of blend together uh, using the face of the main character as kind of a focal point that holds it all together. Uh, And that sequence, just to start off with, is phenomenal. But to go back to the movie on the whole, Seamus, why'd you bring this one in particular? Um, it was a it was a victim of my low expectations being exceeded (laughs) into the stratosphere. Um, I had originally come across the the plot of this movie, I think just by chance. Um, 70s 
women in prison movie. Um, it was on Tubi before I realized that Tubi was the greatest streaming service of all time. Um, <laughs> the only I, one I, that extended clip endorses. Of course, of course. Um, I, I was I was convinced this is kind of be very you know cheap action movie with a fun plot. Uh, I went and watched it. Oh my god, so much. Uh, like there's so much style, so much genuine cinema, uh, cinematography, so much talent behind that. Um, the framing, the uh, the staging, um, all of the crazy visual effects, um, uh, the acting is is, is great. Um, the music, oh my god, it's all of it, all of it, just combining into this wonderful, wonderful picture about just pure revenge. It's great, God. So Matsu or Nami Matsushima, she's the titular prisoner. And it, you know, it opens on this attempted escape where her fellow uh, inmate who's escaping with her starts, you know, bleeding profusely because I guess living in a Japanese prison suppresses your period. And that is how they're caught, like through the German shepherds. And so when I first saw that, like the previous pink movie I had seen involved a German shepherd having sex with a woman. Uh, and so I was like, okay. You know, my, my expectations were kind of leading in a different place. But as Seamus said, this is stylistically just, oh my God, goodness, so bombastic. Uh, and so like attentive to the precision of a zoom or a tilt or a cut. Uh, it feels like the film is trimmed within a frame of its life. Uh, it's just a, such a well-oiled machine that also just has such a spontaneity to both the violence and the imagery that just feels unreal. I don't know. It's one of my. It's really one of my recent favorites. No, yeah, I really love the the styling of this movie and like you know where the the past. Uh, you know, was it Dark Angel, Black Angel? Um, you know that that, it, that has like kind of like a, a grab bag of style, whereas this one kind of has the same thing. Where it's like there's a lot of uh, you know, um, it goes a lot of places visually, but it, it all kind of feels connected through this just kind of uh, overwhelming sense of like hazy severity or something like that. It's just like because it's a, a lot happens. You know, subplots like the the whole subplot are just kind of like confounding in a way where it's just like you know you don't really see anything like that but still kind of packs home kind of the 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 brutality that this movie obviously likes to luxuriate in um and uh i mean yeah yeah i mean i i was you know come to think it, i haven't really seen that many many women in prison movies so this kind of set set a high bar yeah and i mean a lot of women in prison movies um they're they're not they're much 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 more sleazy than this like and and this is honestly pretty brutal i mean there's a lot of nudity there's a lot of um well, that's why it fits into the pink category and is like yeah, grouped in yeah. with a lot of softcore films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but but no, but there are so many more women in prison movies that are just like straight up pornography. <laughs> like this, yeah. this is kind of at the at the at the much more like presentable end, I think. Much yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, you could show your mom this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, it would be like what this people accuse sure. like slow cinema people of doing like misery porn. You know, like that's the closest, like the scenes where she's in solitary yeah. <laughs> and the walls just feel like they're bleeding like blue or whatever. Uh just the incredible decrepit yeah. set design literally feels like 
uh, the solitary confinement feels like a Siming Lang apartment. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I love this. I love this so much that I even like immediately wanted to marry it. I well, yes, that too. But I watched. Um, I know there are a bunch of uh, female prisoner sequels um, to this, but I was really surprised that they remade this in 1976. Like four what? years afterwards, it's um. There's a new female prisoner, 701 Scorpion. <laughs> She's back in town. <laughs> which is like, because there are like, there's the main series, which I think is like uh, three other uh, female prisoner Scorpions, yeah. uh, 701s by, uh, and I think Shunya Ito had ha- like directed two of those. But at a certain point in 76, they reboot it with like a different actress. And I watched that because I was like, oh, that's weird because the details of the plot sounded very similar. But that was also, like, fantastic. I mean, there were more rapes, which was not fun. Um, but it's it's gruesome. And that one is, like, more about, like, the political elite, like, are doing, like, are behind uh, putting the, the, the female prisoner behind bars. Um, but it's great. Like, I don't know. It, it has a lot of stuff that this one does really well in terms of like cinematography, like very expressive, like color and lighting. Like I know from the original, it's just like, I don't know, the images of like the officers, like against the red sky just is so oh, intense. And, like that is my favorite. Yeah. I mean, that that tonal shift where the color palette shifts on that like background as well is ridiculous. We'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> starting early in the film, I, as we did not go chrono- chronologically with the last one, I think we can work our way through this one pretty simply as it is a very uh, simply plotted uh, women in prison revenge movie. <laughs> uh, but th- there's just a really incredible scene uh, where the guards are just torturing her in solitary and you just have this like multiple shots of the camera just swirling around and kind of fading and cutting between them as the sound design starts to echo. And there's so many things where he just loops you into these like almost like stylistic exercises that'll take over a scene for a minute or two that are just so engrossing and so either torturous or beautiful, depending on what it's depicting. Uh, or maybe some people would say none of it's beautiful, but hey, some people like exploitation movies. <laughs> no, yeah, each like yeah, each camera movement has like uh it feels like a you know, like a big punctuation mark you know each like zoom really kind of keeps uh this movie going on a high energy pace despite you know it kind of being you know a lot of it just being the the titular 701 scorpion getting uh tortured in many different ways but you know she's got a great spirit that can't keep her down great spirit and um, <laughs> with a spirit like that uh, that's, that's what i love most you, you can't lose full heart clear eyes. that's what i liked <laughs> that's what i related most about uh this movie you know <laughs> just coming over adversity but um uh like i don't know yeah you're you're kind of not, uh, mentioning the kind of like yeah like how this kind of looks like a siming lang movie uh, or kind of like it almost kind of it depicts prison in almost kind of like an industrial type of way and like it'll even have like kind of like these moments these kind of like reflective moments on like the location that don't really have to do with the plot. I particularly think of like 
kind of the opening and kind of like the last shot too, but the opening where we just see all of these female prisoners walk on like kind of like this weird step thing. And like, uh, we just have the officers, you know, looking, you know, up through the, this weird kind of like bridge type thing that they're walking on. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it just kind of sets the tone for the location of just kind of like, yeah, these, this desolate, uh, concrete. So prison. that bridge thing is a search. So they like that's why the prisoners are all nude in that scene. Uh, it, it's like they have to step above, you know, certain things. So anything that they might be hiding would fall out. Uh, but you're right on. There's a really funny shot of a guard just like beneath the staircase looking up. But then it cuts to a tighter shot on him, and you just see his eyeball, and then it dissolves. Uh, to Matzo like in the field uh after the opening you know when she had been caught uh trying to escape and it's just like a setup for how to watch the movie basically (laughs) like uh, the power of you know the characters in the movie and of course the power of the gaze baby (laughs) well I mean I think like what like in a lot of like contemporary terms would be like a very easy negative like feminist criticism and the fact that she doesn't really speak but i feel like that focus like allows you to focus in more on like cinematic grammar and like the way things are shot and structured and also just like it's a testament to the actress's performance that like she's able to deliver like such powerful expressions in terms of uh really just taking it like a champ I like it, yeah. this movie just rem- like uh-huh. reminds me of my dad whenever I would face adversity growing up he would say suck it up and that's like this is a real suck it up kind of movie it's like you got to take yeah. it like take it in stride and overcome yeah well you know what the, you know they might criticize her for you know for not talking much but what does Don Corleone say he says never let anyone know what you're thinking <laughs> and and maybe that's why she's an epic crime she has the epic crime mind of like a Sicilian. You know what I'm talking here? Like a real Italian crime wow. boss. I did not like think Malcolm would bring it back to Sicily, but I'm so glad he did. Another island that produced some of our great cinematic works. Um, uh, Japan is the other one I'm referencing, of course. Anyway. Not Australia. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on, man. I don't know. Can <laughs> think of another island. <laughs> Uh, so after a few sessions in solitary, one in which she's tortured with hot miso soup, but then uh, quite literally pulls the rug out from underneath uh, the woman who's torturing her uh, and scalds her with the miso, which is great. And then there's a moment where someone is trying to set her up in the showers and, you know, uh, 701's too smart for that. Uh, it, it turns into <laughs> then a fight where she slams a door on a woman's face and the glass shatters everywhere. And she just has a shard of glass in her hand. And it's the blood is so like beautifully red in this movie. So vivid. And uh, Ito does a very good job on kind of lingering on it, but always like still ramping up the action as hard as he can. He, kind of teases this like long take style as they're both maneuvering around the showers in what could be read as the most exploitative scene i mean it's literally just like women frolicking around in the shower together (laughs) Uh, before it turns turns violent you know (laughs) but before that there's just this long tracking shot that goes across the showers they're all just like giggling and like uh like playing with each other in the showers it's very funny that's 
that's woke. That's female empowerment. It shows that women can get along together you know, in the right environment. Well, they can until the so violence. I think, comes I think that's a positive. Yeah, because the violence. A positive message. Right after. Yeah. So anyway. Well, you know, some days are better than others. It's true. It's true. Not every day in the showers is like that. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, the the film shows you the everyday reality, and then we're watching the day that breaks the norm. That's what screenwriting is all about. Uh, that's what you learn day one in screenwriting school. Come on, guys. Uh, get some Sid Field in your brain. Hey, 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 instead of hey, instead of save the cat, you got to show the cat. That's what this movie uh, taught me. But anyway, yes. Yes. Uh, the the, uh, the veritable cat fight <laughs> results in the glass uh, shard being stabbed directly into the eyeball of one of the uh, prison guards. And it is quite disgusting. <laughs> I, re- yeah, I really and, love and also the, the, the background, the like yeah. the background shift once that happened. It reminded me. I don't know if this is off base, but it reminded me of uh, Obayashi. Oh, okay, like yeah. It's like like the color shift is so it's so icy, and her face is just just boiling with just pure rage. It's great when it sh- switches to those head on shots of her, and it breaks that long take pattern. Has like these two jump cuts of this woman just lunging with a glass shard in her hand. Uh, one of the best scenes in the film, for sure. Uh, especially the way she's it got, ends. She's acting like a demon. It almost like she's she got possessed once, you know, that happens. She goes she goes. No, I mean, they mode. quite yeah, obviously like, like redid her makeup yeah. and everything, and the lighting becomes yeah. so expressive in that moment. It's crazy. She becomes yeah. a monster. For no. <laughs> You know, who would have thought that being in prison is pretty intense? Like, a lot of the stuff that's going on here is like, am I in a prison or am I in the goddamn madhouse? Sometimes I look at Twitter. I I see these people say, abolish prison. And I used to think, so where do all the bad guys go? And then I see a movie like this. (laughs) Where do they go? (laughs) They they still haven't answered that question yet. Oh, but, but there's one last. There, no, but there's one. I was about to say there's one last solitary confinement. Um, oh, of course. Uh, session with her. That is after. <laughs> yeah, so she gets dragged out of solitary, and they start doing like yard work, and then she gets thrown back in eventually. With it's not quite solitary, even though they call it that, uh, because there's another woman in there, and she is a police officer undercover. As the whole time, you know, we've been seeing efforts to kill her or at least suppress her from the outside. Uh, now mounts to this uh, moment where this police chief is in the solitary with her. And rather than uh, putting out a hit, uh, they, they get a little, they get a little cozy at night and it's really beautifully shot at first where they're just on opposite sides of the cinemascope frame. And the cop is like leaning out of the frame even at first and then slowly leans in as she's becoming very obviously horned up, uh, by the very shy, but brave prisoner. <laughs> and, uh, it turns into the one erotic scene that rarelust.com promised me when I first downloaded this movie. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the funny the funniest shit like it's it's so it's really it's really like funny because like, 
like she goes in to the interrogate like she goes um and reveals that she's she's a police chief she's a police officer and they go in and she says no no i need to go back in like i can break her this time one more night with her oh god that's so good but then it just turns into a movie about digging holes for like 20 minutes honestly the ultimate punishment and like something i love to see on screen more and like like and the funniest concept is digging a hole that's purposeless just to fill it back in with dirt. That is like the perfect form of labor. I just want that job, just digging a hole, <laughs> fill it up at the end of the day, four hours in the morning, four hours filling it at night. That's this, is, this is frightening. JT is saying this while he's sitting in front of a painting of the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> I notice that I like it because it reminds me of uh, my favorite book, Holes. It's true. It did yeah. remind me of that too. Holes. You know, you got to dig them uh, five feet wide, five feet deep. Anyway, uh, dude, you know, you know. <laughs> it eventually ends up though. Uh, with a revolt that starts with uh, one of the prisoners just knocking a guard over the head with the shovel. (laughs) If you thought that the glass uh, in the eye was rough, this is probably like the goriest or most pleasurable uh, violence that you see in the movie as the, the splatter coming out from behind his neck is glorious, just a fountain of blood as it erupts into warfare and the very cold blue exteriors shift to this burning orange. And after the first uh, shovel hit, there's actually a cut to the sky, that first imagery of an orange sky, and then back to the violence and it just is one of the great eruptions of uh prison violence that i've seen on screen it, it, it like it's kind of difficult to kind of like describe the intensity of the color like please do listeners at home watch this movie it, it is <laughs> like it's so severe in, in in how in like the the shift and it, it just sticks out to me more than i think anything else in the movie when that yeah. eruption scene happens it's really well constructed Absolutely. And you have these uh, shots where it's taking advantage of the cinemascope frame where it's just like 30 people flooding the frame, fighting each other. And you can't quite make out any of it, but if you focus on a detail, you can. Uh, But it's more of just that overwhelming sensation of violence. And then you get those very like pristinely composed shots of like all four uh, guards with guns pointed at them uh, with that orange sky behind them. And I think the mix of the very chaotic and the very formally composed images in the sequence speaks to Ito's strengths as the filmmaker. And it's, yeah, as you said, just like an incredible sequence. Then it becomes a hostage standoff. And the prisoners go back in the prison with a couple guards, and uh, they also torture our our hero, 701. But I want to mention before we get to that, you know, men's rights and whatnot, they do torture the men by putting breasts in their face telling, uh, and climbing all over them. Uh, so I thought I'd, I'd highlight that because that's that's important yeah, to Yeah, one guy spouse. does suffer in this. <laughs> Horn one out yeah. for him tonight. Yeah, the one guy who just like a girl took off her shirt and show he's just like, I'm suffocating. 
you know, uh, I, I pour one out for that prison guard right now, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a dangerous it's, job. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. You got to keep alert. Uh, but the standoff is, yeah, uh, intensified by the torture of the prisoner. And then overnight, uh, her rival throughout the movie tries to set everything on fire and like is called out and it becomes, you know, yet another fight. And uh, it's, it's quite intense. And then uh, the police negotiate to give them food, but you know, sometimes food is just a barrel with three guys in it. Uh, it's it's funny that they just like ship them that huge bear or like roll over those huge three barrels of food for like 20 women <laughs> uh, but yeah another uh, eruption of violence occurs and she gets out of there she she sets the prison on fire and she's back on the streets baby and you know what she's out for she's out for revenge and so we see some quick kills of the associates of the man who killed her and it's so great and stylish uh the the flood of neon is just like a fresh of breath air after the constraints of the prison for the first like 75 minutes of the movie uh and you know she goes up and down the subway escalator and even that feels you know freeing compared to the prison atmosphere but uh yeah the finale is just incredible uh, you see the prison guards like tailing her tailing her ex uh but of course that's to no avail uh the prison guards there are as useful as we are as spectators basically <laughs> uh but you know the this action climax uh the knife is thrown upwards and like you know flies in front of the japanese flag uh mirroring like the opening shot of all those prison guards saluting the flag and there's another instance of the japanese flag being used as an icon in the like first sex scene between these two characters that starts this flashback very early in the film uh, it's this like very strange expressive environment this like all blue environment with this giant white blanket you know that they're wrapping each other in and then it just fades like a red dot over white in a yeah. slow dissolve and it's really incredible and it's like hey what that means about japan i don't quite know <laughs> but uh quite Does that mean i think that mean were they having like hasidic sex is that what oh, they were putting doing? it through a blanket <laughs> i don't know about that i don't know how far that tradition travels uh <laughs> I was just thinking outside the box. No, I was going to say like once once it gets out of the prison, like it does a good job of kind of like like uh, it's like you know what time it is. It's let's kill all your enemies time, obviously. So it kind of just kind of concisely like gets all those associates out, and then yeah, I do I do like that climax where I also kind of like how uh, like uh, the guy who gets killed, the um, you know the guy who originally set her up, um, like. When you see when he gets stabbed, it's just when he's like taking a break real quick, and he just she just kind of sneaks up and stabs him, kind of almost anticlimactic in a way. But then you get the grand, you know, the grandness of him throwing the knife up in the moonlight and the Japanese flag, and you're like, oh shit, symbols and metaphors. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a good ending. Well, good yeah, ending. Also, and then she heads back into prison. JT, I love I love yeah. that ending of her heading back into prison, just like. The sole focus, like, re of revenge has overtaken her, and just like she's a, like, doesn't give a shit. She's gonna be right back in the can, not even trying to escape. 
that's that's brass like balls. That's suck up mentality. You're just taking that's it. That's respect. Yeah, she's got balls. <laughs> <laughs> Go to prison if you have any respect for society. Uh, uh, Shames, any any final thoughts on this one before you shoot it down with a bullet rating? What what you have probably derived from this this uh, this episode is that this movie is quite good. Mm. Um, it's v- impossibly stylish. Um, one of the best exploitation films probably I've ever seen. Um, just really great. Just really great. Score out of five bullets. Oh, uh, well, that's the, it's got to be four. Um, teetering on four and a half, mm. but but still four. Yeah, I'm also going to give this one uh, four bullets. I think it's like beautiful and lovely exploitation film. It's like pretty much all I want when it comes to exploitation work. Just like an amazing piece of craft that's not trying to like intellectualize itself too much. But also, I, I think there's definitely like a lot there under the surface, just beautifully staged, like composed in an amazing way and uh, a lot of fun as well. I my like last week, my heart uh, bled for the youth of America uh, this week. This one is going out to all those women in prison. I know you send us letters <laughs> at the Extended Clip Studios, all those women in jail <laughs> listening to the podcast on iPods that you get sent into prison through cakes that have a backlog of like 30 to 50 episodes. Like, we know, we hear you. <laughs> We're listening. Yeah. And we love you. We love you. Yeah, that's what they do. They roll in an iPod video, like a classic iPod loaded with unlabeled 60 extended clip episodes. And they just got to hit shuffle and see what happens. But they love you. I've heard that they love you. My insiders in the prison industrial complex tell me that more popular than the Bible. Uh, What would you like for your Uh, last meal? Uh, The Patreon feed? (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> if this is what prison's like sign me up i didn't know there was women there i didn't know women were in prison um <laughs> seems not too bad to me but yeah no this is this is a great movie um i think i what you said earlier like it's trimmed within like a hair of its life like it is like this movie is very dense and like it's just, like stylistic uh maneuvers and uh i don't know it kind of depicts prison in just kind of like this cold industrial way i don't know it's a very unique depiction mm. of prison you know it's it's a solitary confinement it's uh the prison guards boot on your neck rather than i don't know a lot of prison movies you know you gotta it, like they'll do the thing where it's like oh, i gotta join a gang or i don't know they, they try to get into the politics whereas this one is you know straight boot on your neck and you get a lot of uh, a lot of pain i like that it's fueled by hate and pain um two things i like you know i relate a lot to and uh yeah i i want to check out the rest of the prisoner series too i want to go back to jail uh four bullets i i you know what i'm gonna go four and a half on this one Uh, this is a really spectacular movie uh it's really as good as it gets for this kind of thing uh you know to quote our friend james l brooks it is as good as it gets and I, I think that the the combination of, you know, the presence of a director like Ito and a lead performance, a lead performance like uh, Meiko Kaji in this one, I don't know. It's an unstoppable force. Every aspect of the production 
is baffling to me from the set design cinematography to the editing um it's it's just a movie i could go on and on about as i demonstrated in this very episode so yeah as always you can email us at extended clip podcast at gmail.com and you know what everyone's favorite segment it's back uh we have a couple emails this week yeah yeah just got nice. it nice nice first one no subject from paul says thoughts on film school is it worth it sorry if you've answered this in a previous pod i've yet to catch up on every episode well first of all <laughs> please do not write into the podcast until you have heard every single episode paid for the patreon <laughs> and listen to every single patreon episode now if that qualification slows down the amount of emails we get <laughs> <laughs> well, then fuck me. So be yeah. it. <laughs> real fans only. No, I'm joking. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, you're not. We're for real about it. <laughs> um, to answer, to answer, to get to brass tacks and answer this question, um, I'd say maybe. I guess. <laughs> like, I think, like, I do. I feel like I got a lot of development as like a filmmaker and like an appreciator of films through film school. But I think a lot of that pertains to just like mere practice and like doing Mm. it. It's like I made like a bunch of shitty movies before I made one I felt proud about. I think you can do that like without going to film school. And I think like if you read the greats, like writing about movies, you can uh, figure it out too. I mean, I, I the school framework I think does like make it easy, but also there's like a lot of dumb bullshit about yeah. uh, film school and school in general that uh, gets in the yeah. way. It's right. Don't let me uh, get off on a rant here, but you know what my film school was? Alfred Hitchcock, Jonathan <laughs> Rosenbaum, Orson <laughs> Welles, Pauline Kael, James L. Brooks. Cal State Northridge, College of the Canyons, University of California, Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's what it's no, all about. I, 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 I'm doing my second fucking film degree and I still don't think it's worth it. But uh, if there's like really no other, de- if like getting a degree is the one thing you need to do and you can get funding or at least find a school that you can pay for out of pocket. Um, Film's not a bad major to have. There's interesting classes. There there could be professors that put you on to new ways of thinking. I'm still very thankful for like two or three classes I've taken in the last eight years. So, you know, sometimes it's worth it. Two or three classes in eight years. That's a pretty good ratio. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't know much about like cinema studies. I went I went to like a, a film production class. Or, well, my know. undergrad was screenwriting, so it was basically a production school. Okay, I feel you. I feel you. So yeah, just speaking from that, I guess, like, uh, yeah, like it, it can be worth it. Like it can be worth it. I feel like you, you have to like really kind of juice as much as you can out of it. Kind of uh, annoy your advisors. You know, say it's like, do you know anyone somewhere? Like, can you <laughs> hook me up. You like just pretty much just like you kind of have to, you know, harass. You know, your. Uh, uppers for connections but also it's like just in terms of like finding people who want to make movies that's also probably the the best part about it it's just like okay now i know people who want to make movies so i could hang with them and make movies. yeah i think that like is definitely an important aspect like the community of it like you like there's it's an easy way to like 
blend into like find a group of people that like if you're interested in making movies would collaborate with you and work with you and also like gives you like set experience without like the pressure of like fucking it up on like like taking a pa gig or something but if you are like someone like me or someone who listens to our podcast if i may make a judgment call uh you may not make Mm -hmm. friends to make movies within film school Fair enough. I'm yeah. just saying, I, I didn't make a single friend in film school. I just have to say it. Yeah. Well, that that's why I said you, you like you got to go in prepared. You got to even if you're not one of those people, you kind of have to force yourself. To I guess be. so. And if you're not, that's part of the collaborative not, process of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like JT said, suck it up. <laughs> that's very true. Suck it up. I thought as I went to opening night of a Marvel movie because a cute girl in my screenwriting class invited me. And I was like, you know what? And then just totally was like, yeah, that sucked. (laughs) Dog, dog. Do you know how many times I saw Shape of Water because like a cute girl wanted to see it with me? In that one theatrical run? That's pretty impressive. Goddamn, dude. More more than I would like to admit. It was bad. Damn. Seamus the pimp. Uh, did you go to film school for... Have you ever, do you have any thoughts on film school? Uh, I mean, I... I, I yeah, I, I, it's, it really just depends on, like, do you want to do, do an academic study of film or do you want to just, like, make movies? If you just really want to make movies, then, no, film school is not for you. Well, there are but, some production programs, though, I would beg to disagree. Like, the AFI program, yeah. like, that's just filmmaking. But it sucks. Don't do it. Or you'll start talking <laughs> like me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Also, if it's, like, Zoom classes, yeah, yeah, I, no, would, I would I say didn't no. Yeah, no, 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 no. This was going to be virtual when I signed up for grad school. And the main reason I really want – this was the only program I applied to. And the only reason – not the only, but one of the main reasons I wanted to go is because it has one of the best film archives in the United States. And everything I've watched for class has been a compressed uh, rip, like a tape rip on YouTube or some shit. Like, it's Ooh, like, oh, great. Not, sucks, the, not the 35 millimeter print that they had, you know but a tape rip (laughs) anyway anyway sorry not to get off on a rant uh our next email comes from our friend jake uh the subject is network and the the email Uh is what are your thoughts on sydney lumet's 1976 feature film network i've never seen it i've never just to go first to start off the race I, i haven't seen it um I might watch it someday. Uh, Seamus, thoughts? Um, I have seen half of Network, and that half of Network was a shitty dub in Farsi. I am not qualified to talk about Network. <laughs> so that's two yeah, notes. I would have thought Patty Chayefsky's dialogue would have just slid right into Farsi. Uh, JT, what about you? Um, I don't really like it. It's it's like It doesn't look good, and I think the material itself like isn't particularly interesting or compelling like i guess you could say it's like ahead of its time to a certain extent but i think there are a lot of things that were like very particularly skeptical of media and this is even someone who generally likes like Sidney Lumet. like i the verdict i really fuck with a whole lot you got a uh, sweet ass paul newman in that but that one's not trying like that one looks pretty and isn't trying to do like is is pure craft. I think like network just there are a lot of times where I feel like the canon will really let you down 
in an unfortunate way where it's like, I want to be a network guy. I want to be a guy saying the canon <laughs> classics are the classics, but maybe sometimes that not, that's not the truth. And you got to live know, the spirit of the truth. Sydney Lumet took me to school. I, you know, I, I saw 12 angry men and I thought, wow, I just learned about the United States judicial system and how we have such a privilege to do jury duty. And then I watched network and I thought, wow, I can't believe we live in America where the media, uh, which is capitalist sometimes does politics. And, um, yeah, this is America. This is America. (laughs) I I think network kind of sucks. Um, that is just not for me. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe he has some bangers that I haven't seen, but 12 angry men, not so hot uh network really yeah not so hot on that one uh network is just like oh my god uh get over yourself man patty chayevsky he's a tv writer that's not movies Uh, (laughs) that's not movies he's a tv writer we got him (laughs) that was the last email uh other than patreon just telling me how much freaking money you were stacking uh, <laughs> well, we don't say the names of our new patrons on the podcast because one of our are you co-hosts... gonna fucking blame me for saying that? Like I, I'm sorry. They get a thank you I'm by sorry. getting a fucking extra episode. That's just, your thank you. Your thank you is the content. I don't need to say I, I, your fucking name. If you want, want it, DM me. That's what the, I'll say your name. That's what the episode's <laughs> for. That's what the episode's for. <laughs> um i don't know seamus have you ever heard a podcast where people think like their new patrons do you think it's like corny or like bad or like just the worst thing ever i mean i I listen to quite a few podcasts i think it's i think it's fine just the issue is that eventually you're going to run into a name that you can't pronounce and then you are always embarrassed um i don't i think that's a very very low payoff that's true Extended clip is global. We don't have any normal Amer- normal American names. <laughs> We're getting thousands upon thousands of Patreon subscriptions. If we have to my my my, my six dollars, my six dollars that just came in here, just drop in the sea. <laughs> yeah. If we have to read them off, that's like an extra hour an episode. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's true that's true maybe we just have a shout out the shout out track we could just leave an instrumental going and just <laughs> lead off we should all get it done in one episode yeah, you know it's a compromise i think i think everyone will be happy all with my it. favorite albums have shout out tracks uh <laughs> exactly that's gonna do it for this week's extended clip seamus thank you so much for coming on the show is, is there anything that you want to plug uh, I, I do, and it's completely unrelated to any of the movies that uh, we talked about. Um, I I am a, a Middle East reporter, and um, if you're at all interested in Middle Eastern affairs or news, um, I do have a Substack that you can subscribe to. Um, five bucks a month gets you access to articles about. Um, if you listen to Chapo Trap House, I talked about my article about Neom in the 105-mile-long city in a straight line. I wrote about that. If you want to hear about Ahmadinejad coming back into the fold, I got an article about that. I also oh, got shit. All this My stuff. boy's back. My boy's back. Um, <laughs> you just, just, it's the subsec will be in the episode description. Go subscribe there. It would mean a lot. Oh, will it now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Producer. <laughs> I hired you as a guest. <laughs> 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 
I, I would, I would really spell, I would spell out my name in the Substack, but last time I did that, Will cut me off. Uh, no, so. I heard that. That was very disrespectful. Yeah. I would never cut off just like that. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Nothing but love for that. But come on, man. Come on, man. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> we're. we're uh, this is how you know the show needs to end is when we shift from film criticism to podcast criticism. Uh, but we're on extend. We're on Twitter at Extended Clip Sixty Nine. And um, any anything you boys want to plug? Check out the extended clip Discord. The discourse is always ongoing there. You know that's it's the apex of film culture. So uh, get in or get lost. Yeah. And we don't we don't encourage this in any way by having a separate channel for links. But you might find a a lot of illegal movies there that you can download and, and watch. That are pretty good. From what well, I've actually, been told. they're actually yeah. they're actually all under public domain and under educational licensing. However, <laughs> the promise is real. Um, they're all there. Anyhow, anyhow, um, JT, what did you what did you pick out for next week's double feature, dude? Um, well, <laughs> <Dude>. yeah, <laughs> California lifestyle, man. Get used. <laughs> well, I like man. It's like you like men. <laughs> yes the company for friendship only but <laughs> uh, um, i've been thinking a lot and i think i'm really like the one of the first guys to be talking about this kind of thing like we're coming up on a year of covid19 have you any of you guys thought of this have you guys saw this? It's crazy. I don't know. We're we're recording remote again. I've never thought about this. <laughs> and I like one thing I miss the most is shaking my fat ass at the club. And <laughs> and like I I I, do, I like to get down every now and then. Like once a month, I'd like to dance a lot and like get it out of my system. And then I never Wild like out. I I don't need to do it again for a little bit. But I um. <laughs> discovered a great musical uh that i wanted to bring to the table um it's uh 1982's bollywood classic disco dancer uh by uh babar subhash uh and i recently watched that i loved it and i'm excited to see what you boys are thinking and i to pair with this i went with another favorite provider of grooves and great beats and that's prince and uh we're going to under the cherry moon and uh, i haven't seen that one and uh i I love purple rain but what's this cherry moon about (laughs) wow i can't wait Uh, i'm excited for that um well we'll see you next week friends um yeah that's it bye Man never ran with crows in his hand and won't stop rocking till he clocked in a gazillion grand. Tilling the wasteland sands, raps on backs of treasure maps, stacks to the ceiling fan. He rests when he's ashes, ask him after 10 miles and his galashes smash his stashes. Chip on his shoulder with a slip on holster, a clip, a folder, and his grip on a boulder bolster. They supposed to know his show when his aura glow. Get from out the road when he get dough is horrible. Time is money, spend, waste, save, invest, a fest. The 10 case of cave of chicken chest S. Yes.
best, y'all a double get your trickles. The best ballers pitch in and rub to get a nickels. But tut tut, he bout to change the price again. They go up each time he blow up like hydrogen. Villain here have him shrilling in fear. It won't stop top ill until he a gazillionaire grilling stare.